Hey guys, Anne here. I just want to point out that I know that this is episode 121 of the podcast, but I was really dead set on the fact that it was episode 120 the entire time I was recording. So just know that I know that I made a mistake. This is episode 121 of the Anacrusic Podcast. It's one of the trickiest things about being a teacher. You feel like you're hitting your head against the whiteboard, like you're saying things a million different ways, and your kids just aren't getting it. And that's exactly it. Whether you have kids that are totally catching stars, not even paying attention, or your kids are doing exactly what you're asking them to, but it's not even close to what you intended for them to do, it's just so, so frustrating. Like you can literally hear Ross from Friends yelling pivot, but you have no idea what step to take or which direction to go next. And so what do we do? How do we figure out what direction to go next, what step to take, how to get ourselves squarely centered on that next step so that we can find some solid ground inside of our lessons? Well, today on episode 120 of the Anacrusic Podcast, that's exactly what we're going to talk about, what to do when a lesson flops. Maleski and I've helped music teachers just like you get more intentional in their classrooms through my trainings, curriculum, and tips shared on this podcast. The truth is, teaching music is hard. You have a bunch of kids to teach and not a lot of free time to figure out how. Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated is totally normal. But here's the good news. It only takes a few simple steps to flip the script. And although it may be simple, it's definitely not easy unless you have the right toolkit. So let's start tuning and transforming your music teacher life right now. The actual steps you need to find the purpose, follow a sequence, and choose joy are right here. This is the Anacrusic Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another season of the Anacrusic Podcast. I'm so insanely pumped to have you back for another set of 20 episodes because as you know, if you've been around for a little bit, every time we have a new set of 20 episodes that marks a new season of the Anacrusic Podcast. So we are officially in season seven. Holy cow. I really and truly can't believe it's been that many episodes and so many awesome conversations about pedagogy and all things that Anne geeks out on. So if you're here for more, welcome. If you're new to the party, welcome as well. And let's go ahead and dive on into this like huge thing that everybody experiences. And if people are telling you that they don't experience it, they're probably not telling the truth. Because if anyone's really and truly teaching, like their classroom is their laboratory, if they're constantly trying new things, if they're constantly trying to improve their practice, there's always going to be a lesson that flops. And you know, this is going to sound super cheesy, super woo woo. But in a lot of ways, that lesson that flops is a gift. And we're going to talk about why in just a moment. But first things first, if you feel like you don't have lessons that at least flop a little bit, that don't just have like a little something that you need to tweak here and there, I really, really encourage you to have more of this laboratory mindset when it comes to your classroom. So if you feel like, oh, I'd really like to try that, but I'm not sure how it fits, or I saw this really cool thing, I'm not exactly sure how it would fit into my classroom, 
I know that I definitely 100% always learn best by doing. I process best by talking. All of those kinds of things in action are where the magic happens for me. So I encourage you, if you haven't done a lot of that sort of getting uncomfortable with being, um, or rather being comfortable with being uncomfortable, to step into that a little bit more and see what it can do for your teaching, see what types of reflections you can take away from that as you really do start to treat your classroom like your laboratory. So since I have this approach, I can totally count a million times that a lesson has flopped in some way, shape, or form. And you know, we always make that joke that those poor kids on a Monday who have us for music, like those Friday kids get much more streamlined lessons because we've had that time to process, we've had that time to refine, and we've had that time to figure out what would work better. And I say that to you because if you're not taking the opportunity to do those things, this is 100% the episode for you. Because when you have a lesson that flops, it's not all about just throwing it in the trash and saying, oh, I can never ever do that thing again. It's all about how we break things down more simply, how we get, how we take that student feedback and we process it into something that is constructive for our teaching and constructive for our students' music learning. So let's go ahead and just think through some experiences that you've had in terms of what has happened when a lesson flops. And let me go ahead and give you an example. So I recently had the opportunity to observe a teacher. Let's just leave it that way. Not necessarily music teacher. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but it was with very, very young children. And this teacher only had a group of about oh, were there five, maybe six kiddos in the class? And this was their third time having this classroom instruction. And many of these children, since they were um, preschool age, three to five, so very, very young, many of them are not in a normal, formal school setting. And so this experience of being in a group, having a leader that isn't their primary caregiver was a new experience for them, right? So there were a lot of new things that they had to sort of process in terms of taking turns and thinking about where their bodies were supposed to be in physical space and all of that good stuff. And this is going to be a general example, but I think it'll illustrate my point. So what I observed happen was the class went on and then at some point in the class, the teacher thought it would be a really great idea and it totally is to have the students do stations. So she had each student in in this group of just five kiddos in five different stations. And the way that they entered this space where they were going to have the stations, she had each student drop off at their respective station And then she went around and tried her very, very, very best to explain the directions for each kiddo at each station. And a couple of things happened. Number one, every time she tried to drop off a kid at each station, they all kind of went to that station and then they all kind of followed her to the next one. (laughs) And then when she got them to their respective stations, she tried to give some redirects, some um, refining tips to those kids who were doing that activity. And she was like, oh, you know, Forrest, make sure that you're doing this, that, and the other thing. Or Forrest, go over there. And whenever she would ask Forrest to go over there or Forrest to do something, Bobby, Shirley, Emma, whoever else was also doing the same thing because she had these very young children who had never experienced these activities before. They had never done any of the things inside of this classroom experience with stations, and it was all brand new. So not only had they ever had like 
a school experience, really, where they had to have instructions. They were also being called out by name to do all of these different things. And they were also trying to remember their position in the physical space, following the directions, doing their respective activities right, while their teacher is also explaining the different things. And it was just like, holy cow, my poor brain was exploding. I can't imagine what their brains were doing. And let me go ahead and just say, I have a million percent been that teacher. And my heart broke for her because I saw her frustration just rising, right? Like you could kind of see see the red start to rise in her face and she was just so frustrated because these kids weren't doing what she was asking of them. And I was kind of thinking that at first too. I was like, oh, these kids are really struggling, struggling to follow directions. And then I realized, well, actually the kids aren't following following directions badly at all. They're doing exactly what this teacher is asking them to do, but she's not asking them specifically what she wants them to do or in a way or in a language or within a context that they understand. And I know, again, like we've all had experiences with the little things where we've, and you know, I'm not being a great teacher right now because I can't think of an example other than what I just shared with this teacher where she had the students in stations and she was like, okay, you go over there and you go over there. And every time she said you, everybody went to those places, right? So the kids were following directions, but they just couldn't get those finer points. And we've all had those experiences before where it was, it's just kind of like a funny thing where it's like, oh, everybody followed exactly what I said. Good job, you guys, but that's not what I meant. And you can recover quickly. But she had built up the situation where she wasn't able to really recover from it. And so my heart broke for her, my heart broke for the kids because it was just a really frustrating experience for everybody. (laughs) And so, you know, again, I think we've all had these experiences. So what do we do when it happens? Well, the thing is, is that, you know, why weren't they getting it? What did they need from their teacher? And how could that, thinking about those things, inform this teacher's process going forward? Okay, so from the kid's perspective, As you know, the younger the kid is, the more it's true that a child is very, very, very literal. So if you ask them to do something, they're going to do it at like the bottom base level that you explain it to them. And so because of that, you have to be really, really specific and give lots and lots of examples Okay, so again, using that same example where everything just kind of exploded in this classroom with you go there, you go there, you go there, and all the kids were basically running around the room, something that might have helped this teacher was doing an exercise where each of those students needed to be in a different physical space. And, you know, um, she had some tools in her toolkit that probably could have helped out in this situation. You know, she had the, um, the sit spot type Velcro dots and each of the kids knew what their color was. And so she would put each dot, she could have, she did not do this, but she could have put each dot at the station and then they could have started there at least, right, to have have some understanding of where they belong in physical space. And then, you know, maybe just doing some simple instructions like, okay, yellow, stand up. Yellow, sit down. And then move to names. Forrest, stand up. Forrest, sit down. Bobby, Susie, stand up. Sit down. Jeremiah, Allie, sit down. Stand up. All of those different things so that they practice just hearing their instructions, kind of like Simon says, so that when it came time to do the bigger activities at the stations, they were able to take those redirections appropriately for what she was asking specifically. 
right? So they need lots and lots of information, but they need information more in the instance of experience, not words, right? They need to see other kids doing it. They need to understand the context around what you're asking them to do. And they need to have practice doing things at the smallest level before they have these bigger activities that they're being asked to do as well. Okay. The other thing that I really want to point out about this specific example is that these kids were trying so hard to please the teacher. And, you know, as I was watching all of this unfold and I I sensed the tension getting high and first the teacher got frustrated and then the kids got frustrated, but it started out where the kids were just excited. Like they couldn't wait to go where she was telling them to go and she, they couldn't wait to do what was next. Even those, those instructions weren't specifically for them. They were trying so, so hard to please her, but it wasn't being rewarded. And so she was feeling frustrated and then and the kids just like kind of froze and weren't exactly sure what to do. And so, as I mentioned before, when you find yourself in those moments where you're like, oh, this isn't going well, or oh, you did exactly what I told you to do, but that's not what I meant at all. I think it's healthy to admit that because the kids, just like they sense your attitude about everything, they sense when you're frustrated, they sense when you have to, or they just obviously see it when you're having to repeat yourself or come at something from a different direction and they're not exactly sure what they're supposed to be doing differently because you're saying the same thing over and over and over again um, to try to get a different result, right? What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I'm not sure who said that, but um, that's a thing, right? So we don't wanna keep saying the th- same thing over and over again and just keeping everybody frustrated. But like like I was mentioning, those kids were trying so hard to please their teacher and it just, it wasn't working out for anybody. And so giving them those experiences, those very, very baseline experiences to be successful and then being like, okay, you know your colors, you know you're in different spaces, you know your names and what you're supposed to do when I say your names, let's try something different. So the next step for me would be to say, okay, now everybody go to the yellow station and let's go through this together. That didn't happen this lesson. Now everybody go to the blue station. Let's go through this together. Okay, now half of you are going to be at yellow. Half of you are going to be at blue. And then the next time, maybe put them in three different stations. And then the next time, maybe they're ready for four. And so on and so forth. Because having everybody have their own job where they don't have anybody else to look to and see that example or have any context, that they're distracted, they're going and following the other person's directions, and it's just they don't have those building blocks to be successful in that case. So as I was watching, I felt so, so sad or so I empathized, let's say it that way, with this teacher because she was giving really clear directions and she was using names and she was using her own body as the example for the activity that she wanted the students to be doing. And although those directions were clear, although the names were clear, although she was giving that example as an adult, all of those things could have been immensely more helpful if she would have followed a process more like what I just outlined, where the kids had the opportunity to know separately, here's what it means to be in different physical space stations, Here it is to know what to do when just my name is called and I'm being asked to follow a direction. 
Here's what it means to have the context for this specific station activity. Here's what it looks like when my teacher does it, but here's how this translates to a child doing it. And that's where having all of the kids go through one station together would have helped to build that context. I keep going back to that context, right? All those environmental factors to create that rich environment so they know what's going on and they have that feedback from what other kids are doing as well to help them. Okay. The other thing was that proximity was such an issue for this this sweet teacher. And she wanted to give all these kids really individualized attention. And the nature of the class um, was such that she's expected to do that, to be quite honest with you. Um, But the proximity was an issue because the students needed so much individualized attention and they were at so many different places doing so many different activities, she was the only one to provide that feedback. Again, the environment and the context weren't available to provide that feedback like they would have been if the kids would have just been in two or three different stations. And so because of that, she was trying to get to everybody, but she could only be in one place and she had five different places to be. So she could only be in one place to give that specific feedback for just a hot minute, but she also wanted to correct things as she saw them across the space. But since everything was so new, there were a million different corrections, right? So that was really working against her as well. And then again, just once you hit that point of this isn't working and you feel the tension in your shoulders and you know you really need to take a minute and relax your jaw, (laughs) take a deep breath, um, relax your shoulders and just think, okay, what am I gonna do next? What would Ross tell me to do? He would tell me to pivot, right? He would tell me what step do I take? What direction do I take? He would tell you a lot of things. Um, Be prepared for Ross references if you're new to the podcast. But really and truly, like that, that comes like the tipping point, right? Like, am I going to continue down the same path where I'm going to get the same reactions, where I'm going to get the same feedback, or you at least start to see that pattern of the same feedback, or am I going to try to pivot in the moment and do something different, or am I gonna say, we're done with this for the day, I'm going to go back and I'm going to rethink, and I'm going to try again the next day. And the last two are your options, right? And it's thinking about, can I pivot in the moment? Do I have the emotional <laughs> the emotional integrity right now? Do I have my wits about me to think on my feet and try something different, to say something a different way, to pivot the activity? Or do I need to just stop, say, you know what? We're gonna try this another day. Let's do something different and go to something familiar so that the kids can kind of reset and start to feel successful as well and be able to please their teacher the way that they want to so badly. And in thinking about this whole emotional thing that will go through your mind inevitably when things are just bombing left and right, we can't help but think like, why can't they get this? Why are they acting out? And there's two things that I want to mention, and this is hard to say, but when you notice that your students are really struggling and when you are starting to have those feelings of like, why can't they get this? Why are they acting out? Nine times out of 10 or more, it's not something that they are doing. It's you are picking up on feedback from your kids about the process that you have taken them through. And that's me sharing that piece of information, having been in that seat eight million times and knowing it and taking that as a gift, like I mentioned at the beginning of today's episode, to think about my process, to refine my process and to fine tune it for the next time I wanna try something new. 
And something else to consider is when we're getting feedback, feedback is not positive or negative in the sense that it's feedback that means the kids are bad or the kids are good or that you're a good teacher or you're a bad teacher. It's just simply they got it or they didn't. Positive, they got it. Negative, they didn't. We need to we need to go back and try something different. And so I learned this actually, or I got thinking about this rather, from um, a podcast called Upbringing. And it's a parenting podcast because I'm very much in the thick of all of that toddler life um, with two of them now. And I have a very spirited three and a half year old. I've talked about her, her sweet ginger soul on the podcast before, but she challenges me and she's so smart and she's so spirited and I love her so much, but oh, she's like her mama and we, we are already like, she is spirited. (laughs) And so I was listening to this podcast talking about spirited children and their comment about when you ask kids to do something, whatever response that they give you, what if that was okay? What if any response, any feedback that you get from your kids, whether it's your own children or your children at school, what if any response that you got from them was okay? What if it didn't mean anything good or bad about anybody, but it was literally just information? Much like we talk about with assessment. You know, with assessment, we think, okay, oh, they didn't get it. Or, oh, yeah, they all got it. Great. I'm the best ever. I mean, we probably don't go that far, but it's just information. It just means we're on track or we're not. Same thing in your lessons. If kids start acting out, if you start feeling frustrated, if they're having a hard time following directions, if they just don't seem to be getting it, that's information for you to take. And again, either pivot or do something totally different at least in terms of how you're presenting the information for your next lesson. And so I think that's a really crucial piece of the puzzle, thinking about it not being the kid's fault. They're not bad kids. They want to please you. And anything that happens in your classroom is literally just information. Okay, so let's get down to it. We've talked about an example, a very vague example, just because I don't want to call anybody out of what it looks like when a lesson is starting to flop. And I use that because it's recent for me, I'm observing a teacher, and I could give you a million other examples personally of lessons that have flopped. We've talked about that. We've talked about what the kid's perspective looks like when that happens, and then what the teacher perspective might look like when it happens, and how there's a juxtaposition there of, you know, oh, I'm trying my best to follow directions versus, oh, why can't these kids just follow directions, and all the stuff that's underneath that. And so then what do we do next time? So again, I gave you kind of a walkthrough very, very quickly of how we could have broken down that particular example into something that would be way more digestible, particularly for kids of that really young age. Again, if they're three to five years old, they haven't had a whole lot of school or formal education experience where they're being asked by another adult to do something that isn't their caregiver. They have to learn to take turns. They have to figure out how their body works in this physical space with other people and also doing things correctly. It's just a lot. And so doing that, even when they're just taking turns doing the same activity, but again, this was like the third class period and they were asked to be in like four or five, I don't even remember, different physical spaces doing different things and there was only one teacher and she was trying to redirect everybody from a distance and there was just a lot, right? So, you know, what could be done differently? So two different things. Number one, 
have stations and actually put everybody in the same station to start right so the first class everybody goes through all the stations together we can we can redirect we can say oh look at how this person's doing this everybody else tried this next time and everybody could do kind of some group corrections right and then again maybe in that same lesson maybe in the next lesson they can go to two different stations or they can just have a buddy and go to three different stations whatever works but if they haven't had an experience where they have to do something individually that's going to be so 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 tricky the second thing that you can do so let, let me go back for a minute. So that first step is just thinking about how to break things down into digestible chunks that your kids are used to. So if that was their third class period, the first two class periods, they had done things where they had to take turns and follow the teacher's instructions and the teacher's example, where the teacher would do a thing, one kid would go first and do the thing, the teacher would correct, the second kid would learn from that, do the next thing, and so on and so forth, right? And so they could all see everybody doing it and they got kind of like this group refinement. So then if you wanna go into stations, the next step is to actually do those stations and then break it up from there. The second thing that I would recommend for this teacher to do is to go back and script out instructions. And this is something that I talk to folks a lot about anytime you want to do anything new, whether it's a new song, whether it's presenting a new game, a new whatever, it's always super duper helpful to script out exactly what you're going to say. Now, I don't even read on this podcast, so I am surely not going to read in front of students. I'm not going to read from a piece of paper because that's not reacting to what they're doing in the classroom, right? I mean, maybe this teacher scripted out her lesson and she's thought, oh no, we're going to be in all five stations. That's how this has to work. Instead of going back to looking at what the kids were actually doing, how they were responding and how she could adjust in the moment based on that feedback. So I'm not saying script so that you can just go down your lesson plan, read the thing and not take in what your kids are giving you. I'm saying script things out so that you can refine your process in the planning stage. Because going through your entire scripted process, what you're going to say, what you expect or wish for the students to say back, will not only make you go step by step, it will also help you to identify where the breakdown happened. Because if you're asking your students a question or you're asking them to do something, to demonstrate something in your classroom or you're looking for a specific behavioral objective and in this part of your script, in this part of your sequence that you mapped out and it breaks down right there, you know that right there is where you need to go back and adjust. And so it's insanely helpful when something's new to have that entire process mapped out. And also the process of scripting out makes it so that you don't have to read in your brain. If you get really, really specific, you know exactly what that's going to look like as you go through your lesson. You can respond to the student's feedback and you can really pinpoint where the breakdown happens. Yeah, and what's nice about this is that it's likely going to feel like a lot of steps. <laughs> and that's okay. Because by having a lot of steps, that gives you the opportunity to go through and think, okay, my kids are getting this. I, I don't think they need this. And you can maybe kind of jump ahead a little bit. But it also allows you the opportunity that if you do jump ahead a little bit and things kind of hit a wall, you can back up and say, oh no, they actually needed X, Y, and Z first. And you can go back and reteach something probably in the same lesson in the moment. It gives you those resources, gives you that toolbox to, to adapt as you need to. And then the last thing I want you to think about when you have a lesson that flops is that it's okay to stop. 
It's okay to abort the mission. <laughs> it's okay that if pivoting isn't working, um, go back to the drawing board. If you don't feel like you can go back a couple scaffolds or you don't have a couple scaffolds, that just means you need to go back and rethink things and process. So maybe you just stop. You know, maybe that teacher says, okay, stations aren't working great today. Let's stop. Um, I'm going to think through some things that can help you a little bit better next time to do this. So we're going to try it again next week. Let's go play that game that we all know and love that gives your kids a chance to be really successful with something they love to do. And it gives you a chance to chill out because you're probably super heightened after a stressful experience when you were super pumped about something and it didn't quite work. And it gives everybody just sort of a reset where the kids feel successful you can calm down and you can take some deep breaths and think, okay, where was the breakdown? What can I do a different next time? Okay. But please, 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 please. If something flops, do not throw it away. You are a talented enough pedagogue. You are a talented enough teacher musician to problem solve and think about that feedback. Think about that pure information, not good or bad, and how you wish it would have gone differently and what you can do to really facilitate that change. So let's just do a really, really quick recap. One of the things that you need to do when a lesson flops is to think about kids' responses being information, not about being out to get to you. It's not a quality statement about any, anybody's personhood in your classroom, including you. It's simply information. It's really, really important, number two, to take some time for self-reflection after every single lesson, even the ones that went really, really well. Why did it go so well? What, what did the kids really latch onto? What felt like just the defining moment for those kids as you were going through your lesson that made them just like super duper spark and had this zest and things just felt like you were totally in flow? What was it about that lesson that made that happen? and make some notes about it so that you can make sure that you interject that same type of process the next time. And last but not least, remember that your students are trying to please you. They love you, they love making music with you, they they want to be doing something that makes them feel good and that makes you feel good. And if you feel that resistance, it's because something's just sort of out of whack in that process for either the way that you're saying it, the way that they're receiving it. Somewhere there's that communication breakdown that we just need to go back and reassess. And if something isn't working, like I said before, and I say this with love, it's probably not their fault. So what do you do when a lesson flops? You take some time to reflect, you take in that information, and you know that you can do anything that you wanna do in your classroom, and that perfection is a myth, You're gonna take some time to really treat it as your laboratory, make a new hypothesis, go back and change your procedure, pull out like that eighth grade scientific method stuff and get ready to rock and roll to make it really successful for you and your kids. So that's all I have for this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Anacoustic Podcast and I will see you next week. Thanks for spending this little pocket of your day with me. I know music teachers are super strapped for time, so be sure to check out all the resources on anacoustic.com for today's episode. Don't forget to click subscribe wherever you're listening to today's podcast so you don't miss an episode of TAP. That way, you'll be notified each and every week when a new episode's live. And if you want even more tips and tricks delivered to your inbox, like a little love note from me to you, make sure you sign up for the Anacoustic newsletter and you'll be the first to know all the things. Also, if you are feeling today's episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram and Facebook. And I'd love you forever if you take a hot minute and leave a review. See you next time.